Amen. Well, as we'd say back in Missouri, there's more than one way to skin a rabbit. And uh, <laughs> I guess I need to explain that to the kids now, don't I? Well, anyway, you don't have to have the same style of music for every song, and that's good. That's good. We're all different, and uh, that's a blessing. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. I want to speak this morning on the subject, help for the husband. That's really a little bit unfair. It might be better if I call this message help for the wife and the kids, because they need it. (laughs) Amen. Did you read the story about the Klopman diamond? Well, these two women, you know, they were uh, looking at, you know, women always look at each other's rings. Uh, uh, Anyway, they talk a lot about rings. And uh, the one woman said to the other one, said, what a stunning stone you have. Said, I've never seen one so big. And the other woman said, yes, I said, that's the... The Klopman diamond, it's one of the largest, one of the most valuable in the whole world, but, uh, but it comes with a curse. The other woman said, a curse? Why, I had no idea. What's the curse? And the other woman said, Mr. Klopman. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, sadly, that's the way a lot of wives feel about their husbands. Sadder still is the fact that they have good reason to feel that way. Because too many men want a relationship without any responsibility. Now, before we examine these verses, I want you to notice verse number 32, because it explains all of the rest. Verse 32 gives us the context for all of the verses we'll be reading this morning. Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage is more than just a social institution. Marriage symbolizes the union between Jesus Christ and His bride. In other words, that is the model for the husband's care of his wife. Last week we considered the verses that commanded the wife to submit herself to the husband. And women have a very difficult time in doing that. Most women do. And again, I say, for good reason, because we men oftentimes fail to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, when we think about the relationship and the responsibility, I want you to notice what Paul tells the husbands they ought to do. Verse number 22 is where we begin, and the first thing that Paul mentions has to do with the husband's leadership. Verse 22 Wives, submit yourselves. Well, you say you've already been there. And, and we have. 
But notice, by implication, when he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, we're talking about the husband's position as leader in the family. Notice verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, although he is addressing wives in those verses there, notice it's describing the role of the husband as the head of the family. He is to lead. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it or not, but prior to Moses, the patriarch served as a prophet and as the priest in the family. And a lot of folks have wondered about that. How did they worship in that time back before Moses, that is, before the tabernacle and the temple? Now, you could say in a sense that every family was a type of the modern New Testament church in the sense that there was a leader and in the sense that biblical instruction was given. And that responsibility as the priest and also as a prophet to the family, fell to the father. That was his responsibility. He was to provide instruction for the family. He was to lead the family in worship. If ever there was a generation that needed clear direction It's this generation. I don't think we've ever been more confused than what we are today. And children are in desperate need of a role model. British psychiatrist Dr. Joshua Beer made this statement. He was describing American men. And he says that American men are a bunch of weak need. Lily-livered sissies. But he's not through. He said, before, I thought that the women wanted to rule the country. I changed that opinion. Women are compelled to take over, not fighting to take over. The husbands are not husbands. All the women are trying out for a strong man And he's just not there. Isn't that a sad indictment? And you know, I would like to stand up and to, and to argue against it. But it's pretty hard to argue against the facts. He's pretty much right on target. Dr. Audrey Andelin made this statement, which is one of my favorite quotes regarding the family and I want to take time to read it, and I encourage you to listen carefully to what he said. We are in a period of crisis where it is likely that the great inheritances we enjoy from the labors and sacrifices of generations past may be lost. Freedom is in jeopardy. It is a time of turmoil, strife, and numerous problems. Our only hope is for men to rise to their feet as real men. But where are the heroes of today? Where is the man who will proclaim, give me liberty or give me death? Where are men willing to sacrifice time and energy to rescue a dwindling society?
Our crucial times require men of strong minds, kind hearts, and willing hands. Men who will find joy in labor, men of courage, honor, and strong opinions, clear minds, and high goals. Men who are not afraid of great responsibility, men who can become dedicated to a task and will surrender their own selfish desires and pursuits to a life of service, men whose word is as good as their bond. Amen. That's right. Listen, that's what our nation needs at this very moment. We are indeed in a crisis here in America. We need leaders here in America, desperately. Our families need leaders, and it's the responsibility of the men to stand up and to lead their families. It's far too many times that the husbands have sat at home watching uh, television or, or pursuing other interests while it was left up to the wife to take the children to church. Shame on a man that would do something like that. Amen. Fellas, listen, you want to be respected by your family? You want your wife to submit to you, then you need to stand up and be a leader in the home. You don't you dare leave it up to her to get the kids to Sunday school. Don't you leave it up to her to read the Bible to the children at home. You set the example and you stand up and you lead your family. You're to be a leader, but not just a leader, Paul goes on and he speaks about the fact that not only should husbands lead, but husbands should love. Notice what he says in verse number 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies." He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. You see, it's one thing to stake your claim as the head of the family and to boast about your authority. It's another thing to do what you should in regards to loving your wife. You expect her to submit, then you need to love. Love is the relational fuel in the family, by the way. And some fellows are out of gas. We want our home to go. We want our wife to cooperate. We want our children to obey. Then we better demonstrate love. I don't know of any power on earth stronger than that of love. When you think about loving others and trying to encourage others and trying to help others, understand that people will respond to love when they won't respond to anything else. When they're really convinced that 
you indeed have their best interest at heart, that you really deeply care for them, they'll cooperate. You can post a list of rules on the refrigerator and rehearse all of those rules with your wife and with your children, and you can set your foot down and say, look, this is the way it's going to be. I'm the leader and these are the rules, but rules mean very little to people that are convinced in their heart that you really don't care about them. But when they know that you care, they know you love them, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, notice what he says here. He not only tells us to love, he explains what he means. He tells us how to love. Our love is to be sacrificial. Verse 25, he says, notice, as Christ also loved the church and and gave. He gave himself for it. The example to love is Jesus Christ. He lived and died for others. The essence of love is unconditional. You see, you'll never meet a person that Christ does not love. And the exhortation to love is clear as crystal. We are to love our wives regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences or the conditions or the circumstances. Love is a choice and a commitment. Sacrificially loving them. And notice he speaks about loving them as Christ loved the church. And, and, and remember, the Lord gave Himself for us. And we need to give ourselves, as it were, for the welfare of others. Not only is it sacrificial love, but notice it is a sanctifying love in verse 26 and verse number 27. And he tells us that Christ had purposed and provided for the church. He purposed and He provided for the church's cleansing and ultimately for its glorification. In other words, Christ has a transforming effect upon His people. Maybe you've never thought about it, fellows, but listen. By your example, you ought to make it easier for your wife to be a godly person. Your influence should have a transforming effect in her life. Through your example, it ought to help her to become pure and holy and virtuous. I mean, listen, that's what the love of Christ does for us, right? So the result of your relationship with your wife ought to have a similar effect in her life. A sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, but then also a sympathetic love. Verse 28 through 30. And notice when I say sympathetic, Paul uses two words to describe how it is that we are to care for our wives. He says, notice the word nourisheth. Now we certainly nourish ourselves, do we not? And that's the point he's making. You know, we love ourselves, we nourish ourselves, we cherish ourselves. Then, then he says that we ought to do the same for our wives. And that word nourish means to rear or to feed or to bring up. It, it, it's talking about providing the needs and, and in a spiritual sense, bringing them to maturity. We talk about nourishing our children. We're talking about providing for them. But notice the word cherish. 
That word has to do with protecting them from harm and danger. It's the exact same word that someone in that day would have used in regards to a little bird sitting on her nest to protect the young. So in these two words, we see the two thoughts of tending and also of tenderness. It reminds us that the man is to be the provider and man is to be the protector in the home. That gives a sense of security to the entire family. To know that you're there and to know that you care. To know you're going to provide the needs of the family. To know that you're going to protect the family. Every family needs somebody like that and that somebody ought to be you, mister. That's your responsibility. Provide for your family. Protect your family. So a man, a husband, is to be a leader. He is to be a lover, but he's also to labor. If a man's going to provide for his family, then he needs to be the breadwinner in the family. It's his duty, his responsibility. You want to see how serious this is? Turn to 1 Timothy in chapter 5 and verse 8, and it tells us there, if a man will not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. He is denied the faith. You see, every husband that is physically able to do so ought to provide for the family. Now, listen. That does not mean that God expects you to make extravagant, you know, provision for the family, giving them just anything and everything they want. Remember, you're to be the leader. And being the leader of the family means that you've got to use a little bit of common sense. There are a lot of children here that I'm certain at some time or another they've said to mom or dad, well, if you really cared anything about me, you would let me get those new Michael Jordan tennis shoes or I don't know what the end thing is now, you know. But in every generation, there's some end thing, right? I mean, they're not going to wear Walmart blue jeans and Spalding tennis shoes. And they're, listen, they're going to try to put you on a guilt trip and make you feel like, if you really love me, you'll give me whatever I want. Now, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what I'm talking about when he say, I say that he's to be the breadwinner. He is to labor. He's to provide for that family. It's not giving the family everything they want, but it's making sure they've got everything they need. We were having a conversation the other day. Some of the men and I were sitting around and we were talking, talking about the difference in generations. And and there's a lot of different things, but one of the things that is so different today that, that most people today, it seems like, live all of their lives in dependence upon somebody else. Am I right or or am I wrong? Now, I know we all depend on somebody, but I'm talking about expecting that out of people. Always expecting, you know, to have somebody to fall back on. And I know family members ought to help family members. I understand that. 
But I want to tell you, each and every one of us ought to determine in our heart to the best of our ability that we'll take care of our own business, that we'll not be dependent upon other people, always relying upon them for everything that we need. And husbands, we ought to set the example in this that we work and we provide for our families. One of the problems today, in fact, it's really a threefold problem. Number one, we've got a lot of women today that are more concerned about their career than they are about their children. Now, don't you misunderstand what I'm saying, because I understand that some women must work in order to provide for their children. There are certain circumstances, either he's not able to work or he won't work or whatever it is, but the woman is forced out into the workplace, and I understand that, and I sympathize with them. But you know, a lot of times, women use this excuse, well, I've got to work to pay the bills. Well, good night, yes, you've got a color television in every room in the house, and two cars out in the garage, and everything else under the sun. It's no wonder that you've got to work. My Bible tells me that the woman is to be a keeper at home. It's really getting quiet now. The fellows are afraid to say anything. And listen, half the women are mad at me, but I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. There's not a babysitter on this earth that can take the place of you, Mom. Nobody. And God's pattern for the home is that when the man is able, physically able, he's to be the breadwinner and the mother is to be in the home taking care of the children and the home in general. I mean, that's God's pattern. And whenever you get women more concerned in their careers than they are in their children, you're going to have trouble. The second part of this problem is the mad pursuit to get more. We're just absolutely never satisfied with what we've got. We always want more. That's, that's a part of our old sinful human nature. Now, we've all got a problem in that area, I think, to some extent. Always wanting more. But the third part of that problem is has to do with the slacker husbands who refuse to work or they put their work even ahead of their family. I mean, this ought to be a team effort, by the way. And it requires effort on the part of the husband and the wife and the children. We'll get to the children tonight, by the way. Uh, if the family's going to function properly, then everybody's going to have to cooperate. Somebody said here a while back, he said somebody was getting a divorce. They were from a dysfunctional family, and it affected them, and blah, blah, blah. Listen, who in the world is not from a dysfunctional family? All of our families are dysfunctional. But we can make it work if we'll follow the Bible pattern. It's like flying an airplane. That, that airplane, you put it on autopilot, and something like 90% of the time, that airplane is off course, but it's constantly making slight adjustments to get to its final destination. That's the way a marriage is. You have to always be making adjustments. Dad, you're to be the leader in the home. You're to love, you're to labor, 
But notice verse 30 and 31, a husband also should leave. Now, don't get me wrong, we've already got too many leaving. Don't misunderstand this. But notice what he says here in verse number 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, and for this cause shall a man, here it is now, leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, notice that here in verse number 30, Paul is explaining what has gone before. He's introducing what is to follow. He spoke about how Christ provides for the church, and then he proceeded to explain why. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So it is in marriage the husband and the wife become one flesh. That is a quote from back in Genesis chapter number 2. They too shall be one flesh. When a man and a woman become one flesh, that speaks about an indivisible union. In other words, you cannot... You cannot divide and have a whole, and if the marriage is going to work properly, you have to leave your parents, cleave to your wife. It can't work otherwise. What you do as a husband affects her. What she does as a wife affects you. Why? Because you're one flesh. And he says... First of all, leave. In other words, there must be a unity between the husband and the wife, and there has to be a severance then from the original family. You see, whenever, whenever a young man marries his wife and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, in theory, he leaves home. Now, sometimes they don't, but in theory, he, lead, he leaves home. He starts a new family. Let me tell you right now, there's not, there's not a roof anywhere over any, any dwelling in this land that's big enough for two different families to live under. I mean, there's going to be problems. You mark it down. When you get married, you are to... Now listen, that doesn't mean that suddenly that you become disrespectful toward your parents. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Doesn't mean that you neglect them, that you ignore them, that you mistreat them. It simply means that you put the needs of your wife ahead of your parents. Because you just created, as it were, a new family. There's now a new institution. And it's now your responsibility as the leader in that family to sever the ties with the other one. He says, so leave, and then notice he talks about cleaving. That word cleave is exactly the same word that you would use in regards to making plywood. It means to be glued together. Cleave. If you want your marriage to work, don't you ever for one moment even entertain the thought of divorce. In fact, get that word out of your vocabulary. God expects your marriage to last a life. And now listen to me. There are those here that no doubt you've been divorced and maybe you're remarried or you're getting remarried or whatever it is. You cannot change the past. I understand that. 
And I'm not casting off on you. I'm not trying to make it difficult on you or anything like that whatsoever. I'm just telling you, and I think most of you understand and most of you would agree, that God's original blueprint for marriage is that it's one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the ideal. It doesn't always work out, but that's the ideal. For it to work, it requires that you cleave one to another, that you be connected, as it were, glued together. One of the worst things that a young couple can do is whenever they have a spat is to run home to mother. Well, he just talked to me awful. Well, let me tell you right now, number one, that's not, that's not mother's business any longer. If he's beating you and you need treatment or he needs to be thrown in jail, that's another thing. But just because you're having an argument, don't you take that home to your parents. And fellas, listen, I know the wife tends to go home and complain about all those things, but the husband, the husband, he, 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 he does it in a different way. It's, uh, you know, it's something like, well, that's not the way my mother used to cook it or, you know, that's, you'll learn pretty quick. That's one of the dumbest statements you can make. Well, Mama didn't cook it that way. Well, listen, <laughs> you're not living with Mama anymore. Leave and cleave. Now, I understand. Listen, we could go on and on. I got a, a brochure this morning about somebody having a conference and they're having a series of messages in regards to the family and we've done that before and this can go on and on and on and on. But I mean, we, if we'll just keep it simple and, and, and God intends for us to understand this, it's clear. That, that the wives are to be submissive to their husband. The husband is to be a leader. He is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. He's to labor and provide for his family. He's to sever the tie that bound him to his parents. And now he's to cleave to his wife. Somebody said, in fact, I think it's a song, love makes the world go round. Well, let me tell you one thing, love will make your marriage work. Now, we know what God wants, right? Am I right? If you don't, you're in trouble. We know what God expects, right? Okay, we know what God expects. So we know what God wants in your marriage. No doubt about it. You might not like it, but we know what God wants. We talked about the women last week and the men this week. We'll get to the children tonight. We know what God wants. The question is, what do you want? What do you want in your marriage? What do you want your family to be like? And you see, that question matters because love is a choice that you make. Somebody says, well, I just don't love her anymore. I'm, I'm going to get a divorce. I just don't love her anymore. How do you expect me to live with somebody that I don't love? I, I expect you to learn to love them. It's a choice that we make. Well, let me give you the bottom line, and then I'm through. Although it requires a choice, the choice alone is never enough. 
And I say that because our human resolve will take us only so far. It takes more than a choice. It takes a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Until I yield myself to His control, until I'm willing to walk in the Spirit, there's no way in this world that I'll be able to fulfill my responsibility as a husband or you your responsibility as a wife or whatever it is. Because the Christian life is not lived by willpower, it's lived by His power. So if you think this message this morning is just about husbands, you're wrong. If you think it's just about wives, you're wrong. It's about all of us in every single area of our life. If we're going to be a success at anything, and by the way, we need to define the word success. Success is nothing more than discovering the will of God and doing it. That's success. And if I'm going to be a success, it means that I have to yield myself to the Holy Spirit. Because until He is in control of my life, I'm out of control. And here's the wonderful thing. When I make the choice that I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to lead my children and so forth, when I make that choice and then I turn around and I make a commitment to Jesus Christ, all things become possible. Isn't that, isn't that a, a reassuring truth? That everything suddenly becomes possible. Because no doubt there are some of you sitting here now, maybe some of the wives, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know that I ought to submit myself to my husband, but he is a jerk, and, and, and he doesn't deserve it, and I, I try and I try, but I just can't do it. And you're exactly right. You can't do it. But you see, it's not your husband's fault because that, that, that you can't. And listen, it's between you and Christ. Christ can do it through you. And fellas, listen, maybe you'll say, well, you know, I've tried and tried to, you know, to really love my wife like I should. And I've tried to, uh, you know, do the things that a good father and a good husband ought to do. And I, and I just keep failing. Well, listen, don't blame her for it. It, it, it always gets back to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because He is the power that enables us to do what the Word of God commands us to do. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it. I don't know, maybe this morning it might be that uh, as a husband that you need to go to your wife. And, and you know, a lot of times we just think we've made everything right by maybe whispering in my heart, well, oh Lord, you know I failed and forgive me. And we just, you know, pick up and go on and leave it there. When really, we haven't made it right if we don't make some kind of an attempt on our part to let our wife, to communicate with our wife the fact that we, we know that we failed and that uh, 
And it's our intent to love her the best that we possibly can. And ladies, it might be that you're having a really tough time in some area of your life. And maybe you need to go to your husband and say, I'm sorry, I've been rebellious and I've been stubborn and I've been bitter and I want to do better than that. It might be, Mom and Dad, that listen, that you might need to just get on your knees here before God together. We sing that song so often, I surrender all. And that's what all of us need to do. Because there's none of us that do this perfectly. None of us. We've all got room for improvement. And with God's help, we'll be able to be the kind of a husband or the kind of wife, kind of parent that we need to be. Will you make that commitment this morning and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be the husband and the father that my family deserves and my country needs and my God requires while we stand together. Father, Thank you for giving us clear instructions from your word. And forgive us, forgive me the many times and many ways that I, that I fail you. The many times and ways that I fail my family. And Heavenly Father, we ask not just for forgiveness, as important as that is, we need more than that. We need the supernatural Strength that only You can give. Help us to be the kind of men that, that we ought to be. Help us to be willing to step up and to lead and to love and to labor and to put our wives and our children ahead of everybody else on this earth and be to them what Christ is to us, a protector and a provider. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While we stand and as we sing, what would God have you to do this morning as we lift up our voice in song? Would you come? I can hear my
whenever we think about what Paul described as being characteristic of the last days, it's really, really a frightening prospect. He talks about the fact that people will be without natural affection. Boy, do we ever see that today. I mean, you know, there was a time that you, you could depend on family. When the whole world had gone out, the family would come in. And I mean, when you needed help, the family rallied around that family member and was there to help them. And nowadays we read all the time of mothers abandoning their children. We read about absentee fathers, little latchkey kiddos that just breaks my heart. Let me tell you, those kids deserve better than that. We need a revival in our nation today. We need a revival that, I mean, listen, that will shake up our families. There's no way in this world that we're ever going to have a real honest to goodness, spiritual awakening, a real genuine revival without it having a drastic effect on our families. The only solution for the problem in our homes in America is a spiritual awakening. Now, listen, we can talk about that all day, and, and as much as it's needed, there's no way that I can that I can make that happen on a nationwide basis. I I can't wave my hand and I can't crawl up on a stump out here and scream and yell and tell everybody what they ought to. I can't make it happen. But all of us have our little circle of influence. I can't change the world, but by the grace of God, I can change me and I can make a difference right here where I am. And so can you. So let's all join hands together and resolve in our heart to make a difference right where we are. Let's bow our heads together as we close the service today. Some of the young people, by the way, will be passing out some little brochures about how to pack a box. And so, if you didn't get it all on the film, well, they've got that information there for you. So, uh, I hope you'll take advantage of it. Let's bow our heads together. Brother Mike Smith, would you lead us in prayer this morning? Don't forget, guests, we will have a reception over here for those of you that choose to stay. Bev and I will meet you here just behind the piano.